This podcast is brought to you by Whites Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. Last week we talked, uh, we delved into the book of Corinthians, and we kind of summarized from chapter 1 all over to the beginning about this being a problematic church, about the vision that existed, about the uh, credibility of Paul, and uh, about the abuse that was going on between each other, and the, the immaturity. He said, I'd like to treat your spiritual brothers more mature, but you're so immature, you're like the world. <coughs> and so he talks about their immaturity some, and how that that had caused problems even within uh, within the church, uh, in ex- exercising their freedom within their marriages and how to handle that, and of course eventually even in the assembly and the use of their spiritual gifts. And we went over First Corinthians 11 about the head covering. Now, to be honest with you, when I grew up, anytime we studied this passage. We basically always argued over whether this was cultural or not and did a woman have to wear a covering. And that became the whole intent of the passage was to to try to decide that. But although, kind of like we are here, no one really had a covering on, right? Uh, Except that which is natural, my hair. And so, but that became the, uh, when I grew up, that kind of became the focus of the text. And never did I realize that he talks about the, the uh, women praying and prophesying. It just didn't get talked about. I don't know if it didn't get talked about because it was difficult. It didn't get talked about because it went against our tradition. If it didn't get talked about because just just didn't know what to do with it. All I know practically is it just didn't get talked about. And so uh, uh, I started trying to be honest with the text and try to get my own pride out of the way because we all come wearing glasses, right? And we see things because of how we were taught, and that's good and bad. That has good things about that, and that's bad things about it. And we're all like that, no matter what background we come from. Uh, and so I said, you know, I, I want to try to be as honest as I can when I approach the scripture. And so we looked at, at it. And last week we talked about women were praying and women were prophesying, and it wasn't the first time that there's, you know, there's like ten other women who who, who prophesied in the, in the Bible and some in the New Testament. So all of a sudden, I, I started finding verses that I really never studied before and never looked at their context and what was going on with these people. But it was happening. And so I thought, you know what? I better check myself and, and make sure in my own honesty to the Scripture, I have to acknowledge this took place in the church. To say it didn't take place is just not being honest <coughs> in the text. If I'm going to be honest with it, uh, i got to say, there were women praying and prophesying. And he told them how to do it and how not to do it. Now remember we went over that, whether the uh, the word for Ghanaian can mean wife or woman. And so, uh, uh, which, which makes a lot of difference in some contexts, some it doesn't. But uh, when Paul uses the word, uh, 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 the majority of his time when he uses that word in Paul's writings, he's usually referred to wives. In the Ephesians passage, right? Uh, wives and husbands, that relationship. And he's describing, of course, the church, Christ and the church, but it says this about husbands and wives. And so uh, in, in the, in the, in the uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 11, 
men and women are, uh, or the women are praying and prophesying. He tells them, when you do this, cover your head. Cover your head. Because uh, if you don't, then you're going to dishonor your husband or man, depending on which way you translate woman there. But, but dishonor is going to happen when, when, if you don't cover your head. Okay? And so they were praying and they were prophesying, and he tells them how to do it. That fair enough? I mean, like this if you think true, or like this if that's not. They were praying and prophesying. What it says? They were praying and prophesying. <laughs> that's what it says. And they were told to cover. Women were told to cover their heads, and men told not to. Okay. If we don't know anything else, we know that was happening. Okay. All right. So how do you take? Uh, uh, in the last class, we dealt more with that in particular. But how do you take that and then make it all of a sudden when you get? Because you remember in eleven, you got the, the you got the order there of, of, of women praying and prophesying. You've also got the Lord's Supper in the same context. <clears throat> and there's some problems about that, and it talks about how to handle that problem. Remember, he's writing, answering these questions that they've written about how to handle these problems that are existing in the body. And then you get. Uh, of course, uh, you get to uh, uh, the problem with the spiritual gifts that they had. And some were desiring to, to basically show out what the gift God gave them in their immaturity. <clears throat> he talks about how to handle that. Talks about the great chapter in 13 of really what ought to govern everything. It's not the gifts and not how much you speak in tongues and not how much you go. All that doesn't really mean anything if you don't want. Love. Uh, you don't have love for each other. Because there's something greater than all those gifts. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. I mean, the chapter makes perfect sense in the context when you were in Corinthians. I know why he wrote that chapter. He just didn't write it out of a vacuum or a blue. There's a purpose for that. <clears throat> and so, by, by fact, because that's going to be how people recognize your God's people. Right? You love one another. And so, uh, they are destroying that testimony by their division. And one of the things of that division that was happening in the assembly was the use of these gifts, uh, the tongues and the prophecies. And so uh, in chapter 14, um, when he deals with these gifts, (coughs) he talks about there to be for the edification of the church. They're relevant. They provide something to the body of Christ. These gifts do. So when they get used, they've got to edify. They've got to have something happen with them. And uh, uh, you remember, matter of fact, in verse 18, even says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The tongue doesn't mean anything. There's something greater here. I'd rather have just five words that communicate something good than tons of this miraculous gift of the tongues. So there's this. uh, matter of fact, in that next verse, he says, "Stop thinking like children," you know, because this is their problem, their maturity with their spiritual gifts. And so, uh, as uh, he deals with these in verse 26, he says this. <clears throat> Let's do some reading. Well, then, shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone, or some versions say each one, has a hymn. Or a word of instruction, 
or revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, by the way, do we know if these are men or women that have this? Then everyone. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, yeah, just whoever happens to have this particular gift, right? Thing. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak at one time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should, now notice this word. It says two words in NIA. Keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Now the word for quiet here is this word right here. Beguile. It means literally to nothing comes out of your mouth. You keep quiet. <coughs> you don't speak that tongue anymore. You verbally quit doing that. Okay? That's that's this word here. Uh, two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh carefully what is said. Men or women weigh carefully what is said. He doesn't tell us. I mean, he's just saying this needs to, thing needs to be weighed. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should what? Stop. That's this word right here. Same word. Be silent. Some verses. <clears throat> For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. And for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. <coughs> As in all the congregations of the saints. Now, let me say something about this verse here. Some in the, uh, some versions, you'll see, has this verse 33 as one sentence. It says, we'll read like this, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. Period. Some versions have it that way. Some have it this way. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And then there's a paragraph thing. That's not in the original language, but there's a... In, the, in my NIV, there's like a paragraph set off. Thing. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. So there's argument in the scholars as to which portion of this verse goes with which. Is all of verse 33 one sentence, as, as a lot of people translate it, or, or as, as in the congregations go with the women? Uh, <clears throat> here's my scholarly, much-studied view of this. <laughs> to me. It don't matter. Here's why. Because what... Each behavior on either side of the sentence is still a problem. In other words, the point of the context is that there needs to be order. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. That's the context that is correcting this assembly. Uh, if you want to get that again, you're going to find it uh, later on in this uh, chapter 2. Uh, where he says things in the very last verse. But everything should be done in a fitting an orderly way. Those are the two passages that, that, that tell about what the uh, context is. Look, the disorder is happening. Man. From tongue speak, yeah. Are you still referring to the church there in Corinth? But it's saying all the congregation. Mm. All the congregation. Yeah, because disorder in any congregation would be wrong. But 
Is it referring there to women should remain silent in all the congregations or just in this congregation? Specifically? In all of them. In all of them. Okay. 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 But now listen. But it's got a context to it. It's not a statement of vacuum that there's nothing around it. They're going to be what? What's the sign? Let's just hang with me and listen. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. Silent to guile. Totally not say verbal one thing. All right? That's what the word means. And he uses the same word all three times. This is not a passage about just women. This is a passage, a chapter about order in the assembly of the congregation where disorder is taking place. Okay? And so he says, they are not if, either women or wives... I think it's the word wife, but I'll tell you why in a minute. But <clears throat> wives should remain, or women should remain silent in the church. They're not allowed to speak. By the way, that's the same Greek <coughs> word when he tells them in Ephesians and Colossians to speak with psalms, hymn spiritual psalms. Same word. But must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask who? Their own husbands at home for it's disgraceful for a wife or a woman to speak in the church. Alright, let's break this down. In this context of orderly and disorderliness within the assembly, the disorderliness that's taking place, there's the persons that are mentioned are tongue speakers, prophets, and wives or women. I think it's the wives of these prophets personally, but uh, but it's wives or women either way. Uh, the occasion, no interpreter, be silent. The limitation, two or three only. Prophets, on this occasion they're getting revelation, you be silent. This is the order, two or three only. Women or wives, in submissive speaking, what are they told to do? Be silent and ask their husbands at home. He tells three groups of people to be silent. Three groups. And he uses the same word each time he tells them that. So this church has got disorder taking place in the assembly. And he's correcting that disorder. Now, we don't talk too much about these two. Although, by the way, you can have both these without having the miraculous involved. You understand, right? Tongues were languages. We could bend a linguistic. He could get up and do some tongue. But, but to do that without someone interpreting either him or someone else to what it means doesn't do anything for the church. So he says, you don't, don't do that. Matter of fact, just stop it. Be quiet. Now, they weren't doing this. Why? Because they were immature, wanted to show off they had the gift. Right. You can do that without, with or without miraculous too, by the way. Show off that I have the gift, that I want to do that. He said, don't do that. There's an order to this that's useful. 
And so, because all this has to be done for the edifying of the church. Okay? So each of these, when not done properly, destroys the edifying of the church. <coughs> all three. Now, he says these wives are to be in submission. Now, or if you want to say women, women in submission. And he, and he mentioned something, as the law says. What law says that? Well, I personally think he's referring back to Genesis because even Paul, 1 Timothy 2, refers to it with submission. When women should learn in quietness and full submission, he goes back to Adam was formed first, just the innate nature of the way God made us, man and the woman is the helper. But then he also refers to, for it was not Adam who was deceived and became the as the woman. So this was the curse. You read that in Genesis 3.16. He says, you, I will give, you will give birth and pain and, and your husband, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So if you have a ruler, there it is. For a minute, John, you're right. He says, uh, you'll give, in Genesis, you'll give what? Birth Birth and pain. And that's referred to in 1 Timothy 2. Childbearing. Okay. And your what? Go ahead. Your your desire will be for your husband. Your desire will be for your husband. And what's the rest of the statement? He will rule over you. He will rule over you. I think that's what it refers to, the submission. Because... To have a ruler, you've got to have subjects, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So to speak, people, somebody submits. That's right. <laughs> so what happens is... <coughs> and it's the law. It's the what they would call the law. The, the, Moses well, is the yeah, you can't the first find five it, books. Yeah, right. You can't find it in the... Written, uh, the, the, the written ten laws anywhere, right? Yeah, right? Anybody found that? Anybody find anywhere in the law... I'm not talking about the Genesis passage. Where this... Where... where this wife, her husband's going to rule over her. You have any other passage in the Bible, in the law, I'm talking about, that says that women, all women in general, are submissive to all men. I've looked for that one. <clears throat> I'm, not that I would just love to find it. <laughs> uh, Although it would be useful at times. <laughs> I've not found that one. Mark, yeah. Uh, sometimes I see in the scriptures the word the law uses just a shorthand way of saying the books of Moses, and so that would entail anything from Genesis through Deuteronomy. And I would also add that the ancient church fathers understood it the way this gentleman has just explained it mm-hmm. to refer back to the Genesis 3.16. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's exactly what it refers to. No, I, I, there's no other, I don't know of any other place in the law anywhere it could refer to. But it refers to back to a wife who is, whose husband will rule over her. Now, I've got plenty of those verses of wives being submissive to husbands. I've got, you know, I can find a lot of those, right? And we can go to Ephesians, we can go to First Peter, we can go to, there's, there's, a, there's some verses on that. But what happens is, because we talk, it's real funny because we talk about we don't want our culture to influence us, but our culture has influenced us the wrong way in a couple of different areas. And what, hang on a second. And one of the ways is that this idea, and this has happened for centuries, 
uh, I think it was Mike Williams, is it Mike in here? That showed me the text out of Nehemiah. Get, pull that one up in just a minute, Mike, we'll look at it. That, that all women are under all men. Is that verse you can't find? Go ahead, Brian. Comment. Uh, yeah, I was just going to comment on that. You know, if if that were, you know, that's not true because it would actually defeat the purpose of the headship, the order of headship, because you know God's uh, over Jesus. You know, and then you get this relationship of Jesus to the church. You know, like it tells us in you know in, in Ephesians, and then you know, um, and then man is over woman, but. The unique thing about Christianity, it's only through Christianity that women are lifted up uh, through the servant leader paradigm, you know, that, that even Jesus demonstrated whenever he came here and he was submissive, you know, even to death, you know, and even in our relationship with our husbands and wives. I mean, if we want to be true leaders in our homes, the only way to really do that is to be a servant, you know, and that's where our marriages work out. And you know, I think that's probably one of the things that it's demonstrating even these, even in these scriptures, you know, First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, where it says, you know, Jesus had a man, man had a woman, you know, and then and then the relationship between Jesus and God. But if you get away from that, and if you, you know, if you were to interpret that as uh, all women are under or submissive to all men, then you get into some of the things like you see in the Muslim, you know, in the Muslim religion and that, where women are actually debased. Instead of lifted up, you know, and, and you know, and, uh, and honored, you know, yeah. in, in certain ways. Well, that's so. exactly right. Let me tell you, that's a great point. Because what happens? Christianity was radical, and that all of a sudden women could become Christians, like, and slaves could become Christians, and other people of other nations could become Christians. That was radical to to the culture around then. No other fellowship had that. The Roman Empire, they didn't have that. Where all of a sudden, all nations and all all gender and all slave or master, all in one fellowship together, being you know uh, being a value and, and equal together. It's, I'm not talking about different roles yet, but I'm talking about just there's no other kind of fellowship existed during Rome during that time. John, well, the first thing that comes to my mind when it says as the law, I, the, the possibility enters my mind that this is some kind of cultural law that exists. Not in scripture, but this is just this is the culture that we live in. We're going to do this so that we're not, you know, doing something that is actually against the law for you to do when we step outside of the church doors, you know. Which I'm, I'm not studied up on the cultural mm-hmm. laws of that time, but you know, if we look into that, that might yeah. be the case. Well, a good point because that definitely culture had some had some influences in a bad way about the relationship of men and women. Uh, one of those ways back to, that started a long, long time ago. Mike, tell us about Nehemiah. That was Esther chapter one. Esther? Yeah. I thought I didn't look. So. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look. So. <laughs> 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 Xerxes asked his uh, friend Vashti to come and entertain the guest, and she refused. Well, he was infuriated and passed an executive order. And Esther chapter one, verse 22 says, He sent dispatches to all parts of his kingdom to each province and to each people in his own language proclaiming in each people's tongue that every man should rule over his own household. Who proclaimed that? King of Persia. And why? Because the queen didn't obey him. Now, 
So does that give all those men uh, a right to beat and browbeat their wives and that kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, you're thinking this is right. He said his wife couldn't say that. I, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Brother Mike, I think... Uh, in Acts 21, we'll realize in a statement that Paul, even though he preached that we're not under law, we're free from the law, we're not saved by law, he was still very zealous for the law. Paul kept it in Acts 21 when he rides back at Jerusalem. See, when they heard this, they praised God for what Paul had done in his marriage. And then they said, Paul, this is the, the apostles, James, he says, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous of the law? When Paul went into a new area, he always went to the synagogue. He followed the law, even to a T. Matter of fact, it go on now and says, he says, what shall we do? Uh, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, which he wasn't. He was telling the Jews, stay with the law, everything, but you're not saved by it. He was in a very precarious situation. So there's a lot of Jews in this congregation at Corinth, and he'll tell them there, where he said, did the word of God originate with you? He's reminding them, where did it come from? Well, it come from the Jewish people. Yeah. Respect these people. Respect some of their laws. Just remember the Acts 15. He said, you don't have to do nothing, but don't eat the blood of strangled animals. They were still respect for the Jewish customs. They had become customs now, even though they were referred to as a law. Paul was in a very precarious situation. He said, we're, we're a God of peace. Remember, the word didn't come to you. Respect those Jewish people and their customs. And that's what I think Paul is referring to here in 1 Corinthians 14. That we're not a God of disorder. And, of course, follow the way of love. Remember, you were alienated from God. You've been brought near by the cross. And guess where did all this come from? Come from the Jewish yeah, nation, the Jewish, Jewish people. people. That's right. That's, that's why he said that in the next couple of verses. He says, did, not, did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it's reached? Anybody think he's a prophet? Spiritually gifted? Let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, wait a minute. Didn't he forbid him right here? Tell him to be silent. But now he says, don't forbid him. How can you harmonize those two things? There's a certain occasion where they're supposed to be silent. There's a certain way to do this. So he does forbid them in, in terms of their causing disorder. He's not forbidding them from taking place in the assembly. Right? There's a certain... He's forbidding prophets. But only in a certain way because it's causing disorder. He's forbidding women or wives. I think it's wives of these prophets because he tells them, go home and ask your husband. He's forbidding them in a certain way. Why? Because of the disorder that it's causing in the assembly. So in other words, there's a context here that we need to make sure, okay, that we got. He is not <coughs> totally forbidding tongue speaking, men or women. He's telling them how to do it in the right way, how not to do it. He's not totally forbidding prophets, and he's not totally forbidding women. How do you know that? Because what do you because because he's going to tell them earlier told them about singing and about in chapter eleven when a woman prays and prophesies. So he's not forbidding all verbal activity. There's no way he's forbidding all verbal activity. It's 
Not in, that, not in this context. Verse 3 of 14, you know, we talked about it. It's obvious that women prophesied. Verse 3 of 14 says, But everyone who prophesies, which we have concluded that women would <coughs> prophesy, speaks to men for their strengthening and encouragement and comfort. And everyone who prophesied, well, that obviously included women. That was for edification of the church, too. Yeah. But we're, I think we're talking more of them. But here's a disorder that's taking place in the assembly. Yeah, Mike? I want to go back to the Esther chapter because the same problem existed in Esther chapter 1. It says, in verse 18, it says, uh, This very day the Persian and Median women of nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to the king's nobles in the same way there will be no end of disrespect and discord. So when he passed the executive order, it explains it in, in verse 20. It says, Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout the vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. So in this case, too, it was husbands and wives. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to add that I think it was obvious that he made that edict because of two reasons. First of all, it says that he was drunk, so he wasn't thinking clearly. Uh, but out of fear, it said, if we let this stand, we're afraid that all women will be this way. Mm-hmm. So he, he made a ridiculous order because of fear. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the examples you gave are... are <coughs> During a worship service, let's say, as such, and you've got instructions on tongues and prophets, and you have to have interpretation for those in order to be orderly and understand. But there, when you mention the women, it says uh, apparently during the services, they need to ask their questions at home. So when in the service is it okay for the women? Okay. Uh, good question. Now, what was their problem? This order. Yeah, disorder. So they're not allowed to speak, but must be in what? Submission. Submission. So somehow or another, they're speaking, whether it's asking, speaking up against their husbands or speaking up against the prophets or whatever it is, they're doing, there's some unsubmissiveness taking place among these women. And he quiets them. And so, whatever that verbal is, we got one here and one here. We'll back and forth. Go ahead, Jay. Well, in that passage, when it's talking about the prophets doing um, things in a certain order and the people who are speaking in tongues in a certain order, if you're talking about there had been women prophesying and speaking in tongues, would that not refer to the women as well in that passage, not just men? Or is it only referring to men right there? Uh, where it now? I'm sorry. I'm in the verses down 26 through uh, 31, mm-hmm. would that not include the women who were prophesying speaking in tongues as well as men? Yeah, include anybody that had a gift. So you're not just saying men, men, women on That's the right. Part. That's right. We're not saying men, men, women. We are saying tongue speakers, prophets, and women. Mm-hmm. Now these may be men or women. We don't know. We're not told uh, in the passage per se. Although we do know women earlier in 1 Corinthians 11 were prophesying. Uh, but uh, that's right. So, uh, I mean, it could be uh, it could be men and women in both of these. But actually, even this principle would be wrong for men. In other, in other words, just because he's writing a, a problem with the women and that they need to ask their husbands at home, not, don't, be, don't be unsubmissive and, and, and be out of order there. But look, man can't be out of order either. You know? 
This just happened to be the this, this happened to be what they were dealing with in that church that these prophets were speaking, and their wives were were saying something to them about either interpreting them them or uh, somehow or another speaking in a way that was insubmissive. And he says, "You can't do that." And that's where it says, "Be silent." Now we know the silent passage is totally quit talking, but we know that's not universal for everything a woman does in an assembly. Because you got First Corinthians eleven, she's already prophesying. <coughs> so it has to be in a context of what's happening in the church. It's not some kind of just out of the back, no back, out of a vacuum, just some kind of statement about women. It's, nor is it that way with any of the other problems he deals with in the text. There's a context to it, and so the, uh, the, these folks here, and I think wives of these prophets, because they're told to ask their husbands when they get home. I mean, it just seems to make yeah. sense to me. If, if you want to argue it's women, I don't, it's okay. I, I really think it's these wives, because that's who he says. But now look, here, here's the problem: if you don't watch the context, we'll do things like this. Well, then they can't ask in the car going home. They got to wait till they get home, <laughs> right? Because it says, "Ask where." Okay, don't be asking in the car. Don't be asking at the restaurant, Grandy's now. You ask where? No, that's not what he's talking But But you see, now sometimes we'll do that with verses. And we do that with verses because we don't understand it has a context and a purpose for then and there and why it's written. That's not assuming that all women had husbands and that all those women had godly husbands. So what about the what about the uh, what's well, right? What about the uh, women that aren't married? Well, look, they're not the problem here. In other words, he's not writing a universal statement about women. That's what gets us. Yes, Mike. Right, I'm going to go back to the Esther passage one more time. It was not the king's idea. It was the wise men, and they were concerned about the order in the kingdom. As far as husbands and wives, I just want to make that. Okay. Uh, so, so I, my point is this: there's persons in the text. There's an occasion of what's happening. There's imperative that are told each of these because he's saying things need to be done for edifying of the church, and things need to be done in order for that to happen. If you lose that order, you lose the edification and the teaching of the congregation. I'm sorry. Um, another thing that was going on in Corinth at this time was one thing that was really huge there was the Isthmian Games. It was second only to the Olympic Games. And one of the aspects of the Isthmian Games was debate. And everybody was huge in Corinth about debate. Uh, they were huge on rhetoric, how to speak well, uh, who's the better speaker, and they would. it was a contest. And I, if you look at it, I mean, it almost makes sense like it's infiltrated the church. You had people who were speaking in tongues and it was out of control. You had prophets speaking out of turn. It was out of control. And even women with this new, with Christianity now, and women having this new role of this equality, they were even able to speak more and it had gotten out of control. So it's like Paul, he's talking about, he's, 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 he's discussing this and he's saying, look, this is all getting out of hand. Um, you need to be silent, and, he's, and when it's time to be silent, speak when it's time to speak. But it's not just for Corinth. This is something he would say that goes through all the churches because it's it's like you said, it's disorderly worship. Yeah, good thought. I didn't didn't understand that about the 
games and stuff. I do remember the the debating <coughs> context of how they they did that back then. I think, I think chapter thirteen where you know it talks about love. He starts off with fourteen there basically says follow the way of love and what he's. I think he's telling these people because there are a Jewish and Gentile mix, and I think there's a big implication of you know respect where the word comes from, respect the Jewish people and their customs. And this is part of it, and that was uh, because this newfound freedom the women have, that they're not under the law. They're free to speak. God gave them the Holy Spirit to, that, to prophesy and to speak. But he says, you know, you know, follow the way of love. Respect one another. You're different. You come together. The Jews have their ways, and this is that, and this is part of it. And, of course, we realize Paul had a very precarious situation. He followed the law to the teeth. Paul never abandoned the law, even though he was at the same time preaching you're not under law. Those who try to be justified by following the law to the T are under a curse. You think you're going to be perfect, you're not going to be justified. And um, he had a very precarious situation, but he always said it's love your neighbor, love your brother. The greatest commandment. Yeah, and matter of fact, because what this kind of an assembly that's off kilter does, and the divisions that existed in the Corinthian church does, is communicate just the opposite. If you divide and devour one another, it communicates you are not God's people. It doesn't communicate. Love one another communicates you are God's people. This communicates you're not. And and he even says, look, we want to be, we want to have worship and do things in such a way that when an unbeliever walks in and sees what's happening, they say, man, God's in this place. Amen. All right, that that should be what they see, not this. And so, what happens is, matter of fact, this is what this, the natural step then is the next chapter. What's he going to point them back to? The gospel, brothers. I want to remind you, and here he goes. I want to remind you of the gospel that I delivered unto you as of first importance. If you keep it in memory, now if you forget that, you're going to run the problems. Otherwise, you believed in vain, right? What I delivered to do, how that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And if you don't believe it, there are, there are hundreds of people sitting out here who were eyewitnesses to it. A few of them have died, but most of them are still alive, he says. Amen. We were witnesses. We saw it. Other guys saw it. And there's folks sitting out here. Just go ask them about this good news. <coughs> about the resurrection. He points them right back to the thing that brought them to unity to begin with. Does that make sense? The very thing that brought them, that he reminds them of in the very first chapter of the gospel, bringing them into a one another relationship with each other, he winds up here in, toward the end of the book bringing them back to it again. Uh, painting that picture of, of what it means to, to be a part of the gospel and how that's got to be the greatest thing. Because they've gotten off, they've gotten off kilter with their divisions and their wrangling with each other, and how they did their assemblies, their Lord's Supper, they're not waiting on one another. The use of even though they were gifted, very gifted church, you know, you have you can be a talented church and have all kinds of problems if the gospel's not first, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that that's what he does with them in the context. So um, somebody else. Yeah, Brian. I had a question. You know, uh, obviously there's a lot of a uh, lot of cultural stuff uh, going on. You know, even the history of what was happening with the games at the time. But you know, uh, another component of this, even First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, when it's going through that talking about head coverings, 
Um, you know, and, and he goes on to say, that, you know, the reason you need to keep that in mind or whatever is because, you know, of the headship deal. So the question I have is I understand a lot of this is cultural and it had a lot to do with orderly worship. But I think there's also a component in there of, uh, of us acknowledging, and that's kind of what the head covering deal was. It was acknowledging the headship, you know, of Christ because, you know, it's, it's through that structure that he gave us that our families, you know, have structure. And whenever we hang, you know, hang our faith upon that framework that he created, that is the only way, you know, that we're going to be able to find fulfillment. And, and for our families to operate in a functional way in a world where everything else going on around is not going to do that. So they found a way, you know, in their in their assembly, you know, through some, you know, sort of, sort of culture manifestation of covering the head, just to be sure that, you know, that they acknowledged that headship along with the whole deal about, you know, having, having you know, order in the worship. So my question is, is today, you know, in the way that, in the way that we worship or, or the way that we operate, how do we do something that's analogous to the head covering of, of that time where we acknowledge that headship and be sure that we say, God, we acknowledge and we honor the headship that you gave us here because this is the way we want to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good question. So in other words, like, uh, now the only part I might disagree with a little bit on, and I, and I, I, I mean, people go both ways on this. I do think the first Corinthians 11 is husband wife because... <coughs> Uh, the uh, uh, the Christ is the head of man. I think man is the head of wife. So I think it's a husband wife relationship, and they're dishonoring. Of course, not they're dishonoring themselves, but they're dishonoring their husband. And of course, obviously they're dishonoring Christ too. I mean, they can't dishonor one without dishonoring all of them, right? Because there's that structure. Right? So uh, I think. Uh, uh, how would how could you tell if a woman dishonored her husband in the assembly? It could be through the way she spoke, but uh, you know, or the way that uh, the way that she talked. But let's do it with me. I'm, I'm a preacher, and uh, I've got a wife here. She's getting all nervous about that right now. Well, I think the Bible pretty well makes many statements says that Jesus is the only head we have. The well, churches. well, that's true. Now, Christ is the head of the church, which right. means he's the head of the wife too, right? <laughs> the man, all, everybody. But how could, just as a husband and wife relationship, how could Susan dishonor me? Undermine you in public. Undermine me in public? Okay. Don't give her ideas too much, but okay. <laughs> Dressing inappropriate, by the way, which is the First Peter passage. Somebody get that passage if you don't mind you. The first Peter one. And then we'll we'll bridge that to the Timothy passage too. Uh, somebody else? If she started to try to take over this class, for instance. Okay. So her knowledge was greater than yours. Okay. If she's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> That's the part you keep at home, right? That's the part you keep at home. <laughs> That's about that so yeah, there can be ways that she could speak up. Especially if we were in a little, of course, we're in a kind of a classroom situation, but, but like even in our home, if we were in our house church or whatever, there could be ways that she could uh, could uh, appear to be uh, unsubmissive in how she ordered me around or whatever in in our communication with our house church there. There could be ways that, uh, if you don't think that, you might, I don't want you to think of anything in particular, but 
I don't know how to do that without saying if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like that old girl runs a roost around here. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than that's sometimes you get that idea from being around someone for a while and you think, uh-oh. I remember one time a buddy of mine years ago, uh, he was single, we worked together. He uh, got engaged. And he met his bride and uh, <clears throat> my other buddy that preaching uh, brought him in and talked to him because she had a real strong character about her and hang on a second, and here's what he did he warned me he said he sat down we sat down together and talked about marriage and stuff and my older friend told my younger friend who was going to get married he said look I love you and that's a good godly woman I'm going to tell you right now from the beginning, if you don't lead her, she will. And you better get that under control and talk about it right now before you ever get in this marriage. Because it's going to be a problem. And I mean, he, of course, he dealt with a lot of marriages. A lot of problems. And you know, they did. And I'll tell you, it's, it's, it, and, but it, and it's been great. They have a great marriage. They've had one of the best marriages I know of. And uh, but um, that had to be something that just her personality and, the, and her strength, her character was so much stronger. That there had to be that kind of conversation. But her heart was so good about not wanting to be out of line that you didn't have to worry that, about it, you know. And so, but it wasn't like they didn't have to work at it. So uh, yeah, there's ways that that could that could happen. And um, let me say one more thing about the disgrace verse because it mentions it twice. It mentions in 11, the disgrace for a woman to be what? Shaved. Shaved. That means the disgrace for a woman to have short hair? No, that, that does have some cultural things about it, okay, uh, that took place. But he uses the same word over here when it says uh, it's a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church. Now, we understand it's cultural over there, but we don't take it as cultural over here. I'm not saying we should take it as cultural. I'm just saying we don't treat each verse the same sometimes. So we need to at least back up and make sure we have a reason when we don't treat verses the same. And the word for disgrace there in both passages are the same Greek word. It wasn't a disgrace for a woman just in terms times of having her hair. It did. It was a disgrace in that culture at that time for her to have short hair. It's not a universal principle. The principle is, it is a disgrace for her to take the man's role beyond submissive to her husband. That principle is always true. So, when you get here, you have the same language used, so you need to have good reason just in your study to say why it, you treat one verse cultural and you don't treat the other. No more comment here? Yes. Um, when we read or we talk in conversation, there's often ambiguity, and we find the right meaning by eliminating things based on their probability or something that's improbable. And I think it's very helpful that you pointed out this Ganeka. It can be wife or woman, uh, wives or women. And so when I, when I look at verses like... Uh, 
uh, Paul to Timothy saying, I do not permit the Ginnika to teach. And I've got to make a decision. I can eliminate one by saying, does this even make sense to say, I do not permit women, I do not permit wives to teach because that would imply, oh, if she's not married, then she can teach. And so I say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And so I'm left by shifting through the probabilities of a meaning of women. So my point uh, is that I wouldn't necessarily gravitate or favor going toward uh, assuming that it's always going to be uh, a wife that's meant. I would, in each of these verses, just shift through the various probabilities and, and eliminate those that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, and, the, and you're right. And the first thing, first thing about doing all that is to set the context. Because you know, Timothy's going to say uh, about men praying, lifting hands. We don't make men lift their hands, and we don't eliminate women from praying. They're praying in First Corinthians 11. So how do you harmonize the passage? Well, you better know the context. Otherwise, you're going to talk yourself into some very terrible, uh, difficult things to practice <laughs> uh, in your relationship with. Uh, we're going to tackle the Timothy passage next week, and uh, which to me is the most difficult passage. The hand uh, to me personally, but guys, I love you. I appreciate you wrestling with the verses. Like I say, I sure don't have all the answers. I am, uh, I am not standing before you thinking that I've got it all figured out. I'm just telling you where I'm at in my study. And I may not be there very long. I don't know. I, I just want to say kudos to our leadership to have this class. I've been a member of the church for 33 years. I've never had an open discussion of this. We've always been told what was right and not to actually study. And I thank God, we even the Corinthians church, they, they all stood up who had a revelation. I think we all collectively can draw from one another and understand the passages as we do. So it's kudos to our leadership and you, Mike. Yeah, thank you to our elders. Father, we love you. for a great day of serving you today and our time of worship. And we give you honor and glory in all things in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.